This is a Roto Underworld Radio stereo sound exclusive. This show will not be in stereo. In the recording of this episode, the sound file was corrupted. It was unsalvageable. So we do not have the crisp, clean radio sound for you today. Luckily, we simulcast over to Blog Talk Radio and have the underground sound. So, for those of you that are new to the show and have always listened to the show in hi-fi and stereo, I'll give you a little bit of background. The show used to be only available on the underground sound. The underground sound is created by me dialing into a phone line and hosting the show on a separate headset over an analog phone line. That's how you get that underground sound. There are thousands of people that enjoy the underground sound. It's how they prefer to listen to the show. For those of you that are unfamiliar, the only way you're going to be able to listen to this show is via the underground sound because the high-quality sound file was lost forever. But fortunately, we do simulcast, so it's not lost. The content is available. So, without further ado... Here is episode 179, Underground. Buzzard writes in, you say that the coach doesn't matter when the team wins, and then defend him when the team loses. Make up your mind! Make up your mind in all caps. Yes, make up your mind. Thank you, emailer, I guess. (laughs) Thank you for helping to create content for the show. I don't appreciate you not listening to the words I speak on this show, mischaracterizing my opinion, but thank you for helping to provide content. I mean, this is the knucklehead sports fan that listens to this show. We do have these. Yes, we do. People think, oh, there's no way. These emailers that you read, these buzzard tweets, they're not real. They're straw men. You're making this up. People don't actually say that. Who that listens to Roto Underworld Radio believes in such nonsense? Well, well, (laughs) I'm here to tell you, we get emails and we get tweets that read exactly like that email I just read. Now, you can email the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com. You can tweet us, at Roto Underworld on Twitter. Let us know your thoughts on anything, opinion of something I said. If you disagree, let me know. If you want me to talk about something on this show, let me know. I'm dying to know what you no- want to know. I want to know what you want to know. Let me know. So this person doesn't listen to the show very well. They listen to it enough to, carefully enough, to know the email address to heckle me with. They know that much. They know how to heckle me, yes. They, they, they wrote down the email address correctly and then mischaracterized what I said because I've never said the coach doesn't matter. That's an oversimplification. What I said is, Coaches receive a disproportionate amount of the credit when things go well, and coaches receive a disproportionate amount of the blame when things go poorly. Simply put, the coach plays a marginal role in the outcome of an NFL game, period. That is my position. The coach is like a great executive assistant. Because, of course, you think an NFL coach, they have to rise through the ranks of a very competitive ecosystem. So they are the best of the best coaches. They are. I do believe they are. We can mock them. We mock Chuck Pagano on this show. We often poke fun at Mike McCarthy for his decisions to kick field goal on fourth and one in scoring position. Oh, God. still can't believe he does that. That's unbelievable. That is worth – I mean, I'll never not mock that. Double negative. 
But yes, the the coach, mockable, even though they are the top 1% of the top 1% of a very competitive profession. So these guys are very good. But as I mentioned, they are like executive assistants. Now, the executive assistant to the CEO of General Electric, to the CEO of Apple, to the CEO of Amazon, those executive assistants are also the best of the best. That's what I'm saying. An NFL head coach is like Jeff Bezos' executive assistant, the CEO of Amazon. Don't you think that executive assistant is outstanding at his or her job? I believe so. I believe so. And they think about the role of the executive assistant. They have to make sure that the executive, the CEO, is always in the right place at the right time. They are the keeper of the schedule. They are the keeper of the time clock. They call the plays. They give the PowerPoint slides on the meeting and the audience that that CEO will be speaking with. They are the keepers of all of the tools of the trade to help put that executive in the best position to win. Sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Does it? Sounds an awful lot like a head coach's relationship with his quarterback, doesn't it? Doesn't it? It is. It's just because it is. That's right. Mike McCarthy is Aaron Rodgers' executive assistant. Now, Aaron Rodgers is succeeding despite having a below-replacement executive assistant. Tom Brady's executive assistant is one of the best in the NFL. So he's always prepared for his meetings. He always knows the right PowerPoint slide to go to. He always knows the children's names of the people he's meeting with. Always, because he's always the best prepared executive in the room. Why? Because his executive assistant is Bill Belichick. That's why. And absolutely, you, wouldn't, you could not convince me that the executive assistant to Jeff Bezos at Amazon doesn't have a marginal role in the outcome of the company. I believe that person does. That person holds sway over his decision-making. I know you're, you're at this point I'm getting eye-rolled, and I understand that, but, that's, but it's true. It's both implicit and explicit influence that the executive assistant has on the CEO, but they absolutely do. Ask anyone in sales, how do you get a meeting with CEO X? You ingratiate yourself with their executive assistant. That's how it works. Everyone knows this. They are the gatekeepers. And a meeting with a sales rep for some up-and-coming company can make the difference between the company making it a partnership or not making a partnership. And that partnership may or may not lead to future revenue and future earnings. So that executive assistant does play a marginal role in the outcome of a company, just like a head coach plays a marginal role in the outcome of his football team on the field. But the coach never plays a snap, never touches the football in the field of play, never has any direct role in the outcome of the game. So I always object to those sports analysts who attribute the outcome back to the coach, who believe the coach is the crux of the outcome. He is the reason for the performance. You hear that time and time again. That team performed well because the coach said this, or the coach did that, or the coach implemented Scheme X. And that is what I object to, but the coach does matter. So I just I apologize to the 95% of you that are hearing this for the 10th time and are sick of it and are about to tune out because I need to educate the 5% of the buzzards that either don't listen well or are new to the show. So we've got that out of the way. And the timing is brilliant because we're talking about Lamar Miller right now. A lot of people are talking about Lamar Miller. What happened with Lamar Miller? Lamar Miller is back. 
Lamar Miller started the season 53 yards, 14 yards, 38 yards, 26 yards. What? Ten catches total so far before the Dolphins traveled to Tennessee in week six. Lamar Miller was terrible. Hadn't scored a touchdown through four weeks. Just was an eight points a week stagnating running back asset on your fantasy team that you became hard-pressed to justify starting. But the Dolphins also had a buy in there. And I always say, let these players have five games before we fully evaluate them. So even though he was at four games, which was the maximum amount of games you could have without a full evaluation, I was still curious to see what would happen to Lamar Miller in game five. And then in game five, what happened? 19 carries, 113 yards, 5.9 yards per carry, a long run of 22 yards, a touchdown, and two receptions. Great game. RB1 in fantasy. Now, it reminded me of an axiom that we've talked about on the show. You always roster bell cows at the NFL level because this has been a theme, an ongoing theme. We talked about it with Emil Cadlick on the Football Diehard show. It's not just that NFL teams are starting to fall into these two running back committees. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, oh, if it were just, if it were only that simple. Oh, if it were only that simple. Oh, if only. No, they're falling into these three-man committee. The short yardage guy, the between-the-twenties guy, and the passing down guy. Look at Washington. Look at what was going on in Dallas before Lance Dunbar got hurt. Look what's been going on in Arizona. It's three-man committee. This is where we are in the modern NFL. The running back position is becoming more specialized. More and more teams are implementing multi-running back committees. And because of PPR leagues, on a lot of teams, there are multiple fantasy-relevant running backs. And that's great. Thank goodness for PPR. But it also highlights this evolution away from the single running back philosophy. Highlights those teams that still have the single running back as their primary bell cow back, the workhorse back. There are only a handful of teams in the NFL that feature a single workhorse running back, and the Dolphins are one of them. For that reason and that reason alone, you cannot trade Lamar Miller at a low point. You had to sit on him. You had to hope for the best. could not trade him, and you could not drop him. You just had to roster him. I would Very understandable if you wanted to bench him the last few games. If you benched him and he scored over 20 fantasy points on your bench, don't feel bad. It was very, very, very understandable, justified benching of Lamar Miller. Just don't drop him. Don't trade him away for 25 cents on the dollar after week four. Just don't do that. And most of you didn't. If you signed up for concierge, you can go to playerprofiler.com forward slash concierge and sign up for my personal advice service. I highly recommend you do that. We've dropped the price from $60 at the beginning of the season down to $30 in season. And you can ask me. You can tweet me directly at DM or text me and ask me, hey, Matt Kelly, should I trade Lamar Miller for mediocre receiver X? And then I would write back to you immediately, no, in all caps. He is a bell cow. Make sure you stash him and hold on. We need to see what happens as the season plays out. He is a very, 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 very rare asset in the NFL in fantasy football, the workhorse running back. That's why you had to keep rostering Lamar Miller and hope for the best. It's why you had to keep rostering Jonathan Stewart and hope for the best on Carolina because there's 10 or less running backs in the NFL that play on every down in every phase. Jonathan Stewart is one. 
Lamar Miller is one, and Devonta Freeman now in Atlanta, sadly, is one. The, us Tevin Coleman enthusiasts are sad about that, but it is true. We, it, it's a fact. You can't deny it. Passing situations, there's Devonta Freeman. Running situations, oh, there's Devonta Freeman. Red zone, oh, there's Devonta Freeman. Two-minute drill, oh, 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 hey, hey, Devonta Freeman. Seen Tevin Coleman around? Nope, nope, haven't seen him. Great. But you ask the generic sports media member, you ask the generic sports fan, how did Lamar Miller turn it around? And the answer will be, oh, coaching change. Oh, new coach. Oh, Dan Campbell, new coach of the Miami Dolphins. Tough guy coach. They have a toughness now. There's a toughness now to the Dolphins. Yeah. Dan Campbell, incidentally, looks like the pre... I I can't even speak. Dan Campbell looks of laughing. Can't even say it. Looking at this photograph right now online, you have to check this out. I tweeted it on my timeline at fantasy underscore mansion. Check this out. Dan Campbell looks like the PC principal from South Park. Check it out. Awesome. What? Love these looks like comparisons. And Dan Campbell came into the press conference just snorting, had blood dripping from his mouth. He was just a Brahma bull. They had to hold him back. They had ropes. There were multiple cowboys on both sides of the podium that were just holding Dan Campbell in place in front of the podium so he wouldn't just run over the podium, smash the podium, and then gore members of the sports media, Omar Kelly and others, in the front row as they were just eating up Dan Campbell's toughness. Yes, toughness. And... I have a quote from Dan Campbell from this press conference in which he established a, quote-unquote, new identity of toughness. This is what Dan Campbell said. First day on the job. We are going to play by the rules, but we're going to be much more aggressive. There's always that line. This is okay to do, and this is dirty. I'm not saying we want to be dirty players, but we're going to walk that line. I don't want us to play on our heels. I want us playing on our toes. This was serious. He said this seriously. This was not playful and sarcastic. He said this with a straight face. He deadpanned his entire press conference, saying all these tough guy cliches. And the sports media, oh, they eat it up. Oh, Dan Campbell, oh, oh, tough guy, oh. Flex those biceps. They love it. Is that shirt a little too small for you, Dan Campbell, trying to show off the biceps? Yeah. Why do you always have your arms crossed? This guy, he's just... Preening and the sports journalists just, they love it. And I hate it. Oh, I hate it. I hate the fawning over the coach because it's fake. It's misguided. Distracts away from the players. And while Dan Campbell was having this press conference, two things that are more important than his presence on the team were happening. Brandon Albert, the keystone of the offensive line, was preparing to play for the first time all year. Cameron Wake, the perennial foundation of the defense, the guy that can wreck your backfield every single snap, his hamstring was healing. It was finally getting to a 100%. He was finally feeling like Cameron Wake again. These things were happening in the locker room behind the press conference, the things that actually matter. Once the keystone of your offensive line gets clicked into place and he's back in the starting lineup, it's no surprise that you can now start to run the ball. Once your Hall of Fame pass rusher comes back, he can start to roll up multiple sacks, strip sack fumbles, all that great stuff that Cameron Wake is known for. Cameron Wake, by the way, 
has the best workout metrics of any defensive player in the history of workout metrics. And he was a free agent at one point. So just like we look at workout metrics and we scratch our head how some of these offensive players can be free agents despite having great workout metrics, well, the same is true on the defensive side of the ball. And there's never been a better example than an underappreciated athlete on the defensive side of the ball than Cameron Wake. J.J. Watt-level athleticism. And he was a free agent. He was a straight free agent at one point. Insane. Come on, NFL player personnel people. Let's go. But that wasn't enough, though. It wasn't just enough to go up in the press conference and give the tough guy speech. No, 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 no. Dan Campbell, then, first practice, pulls in a couple practice squad players and calls a meeting at the center of the practice field. All of the veterans make a circle, offers up these practice squad players to the football gods. This wasn't a joke. He did this with no sense of irony that a year ago, Tony Sperano buried a football in Oakland, and it didn't matter because he was coaching Oakland. (laughs) He had a ritual in the center of the practice field offering up practice squad players to the gods. Think about that. And guess what? Oh, more stories in the local papers about the toughness of Dan Campbell. He's going to turn it around. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What is this? Then he decides to run the Oklahoma drill, a drill that no NFL teams ever participate in because it causes concussions. Doesn't care. All the veterans rolling their eyes. Doesn't care. He's plowing forward with his tough guy agenda. Unbelievable. And then what happens? Miami goes out and blows out Tennessee. Because they have a healthy Brandon Albert, they have a healthy Cameron Wake, and Tennessee is down to starting offensive linemen. This week, reports are coming out of Tennessee that Tennessee is preparing to start two rookie offensive linemen. So <laughs> let me get this straight. You're putting Ndamukong Sue, Cameron Wake, two rookie linemen, and they're asked to block these defensive players, two of the best defensive players in football. And if those defensive players get past the line, then they're going to be targeting a rookie quarterback whose NFL tendencies have just now been processed. That's what happens. In the first couple of weeks, no one really knows what Mariota is. There's no tendencies that you can scheme for as a defense. Going into week five, Mariota's tendencies are now well documented. So now, Cameron Wake, Ndamukong Sue, Brent Grimes, they have in their back pocket from their film study, they know Marcus Mariota's tendencies. And rookie linemen are trying to stop them from crushing Marcus Mariota. And you wonder how Marcus Mariota ended up spraining his MCL. Really? Really? That's shocking that that happened. And what? Oh, Miami ends up blowing out Tennessee. Really? Get out. That's, That's amazing. Was it those factors? You think maybe it had something to do with Tennessee's beleaguered offensive line and Miami getting healthy? Is that... Was that the reason? Was that the core reason for the performance? No, 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 no. Dan Campbell, nom, 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 nom. Dan Campbell's eating footballs on the sideline. Nom, 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 nom. Hey, what'd you have for breakfast today, Dan? Oh, just a couple footballs with some laces on top. Mmm, sounds good. Delish. How'd you get to work today? Did you drive? How was traffic? No, oh, rode a bull in. He was, he bucked a little bit, but uh, I calmed him down. <laughs> what? What are you doing? So Dan Campbell walks into this perfect situation for a coach to look like the reason for the victory. 
so that the sports media can build the mythology around him now. Oh, yeah. And extend this ridiculous idea that NFL professionals need this zealous strength and conditioning coach to teach them toughness. Remember, let's go back to his quote. Now, there's always a line. This is okay to do, and this is dirty. We don't want dirty players, but we're going to walk that line. So he's telling his players. Members, this is the Miami Dolphins we're talking about. They are a year removed from a bullying scandal. This is the Miami Dolphins who signed Indomitian Sue. He's telling Miami Dolphins before you weren't pushing the boundaries enough, but you need to be closer to dirty. Let's get let's walk right up to that line of dirty. You think that's the message that Indomitian Sue needs to hear? Really? Is that, is that what he needs? Indomitian Sue needs more borderline dirty plays on his resume. That's what he needs? Really? See, Indomitian, come here, buddy. Come here, come here, come here, come here. I want to win some games. Come here, come here. Here's what we're going to do. I need you to walk that line between, okay, playing in the rules, and being dirty. Can you do that for me? I know I know that's new to you. And, and Dominican's like, wait, wait a second. Hold on a second, coach. So let me get this straight. So you're saying it's okay if I just do the things I've been doing that other coaches have scolded me about that where we get 15-yard penalties and, and potentially I get suspended for games? I could get ejected for some of the things that I do, but you're, you're telling me just I should feel more comfortable towing that line? That's what you're telling Indomitian Sue? What are you doing, Dan Campbell? This is the worst possible message for the Miami Dolphins to hear. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He sent the exact wrong message to the exact wrong group of players, and it didn't matter because Cameron Wake and Brandon Albert got healthy. The last thing the Dolphins need is a Dan Campbell-like coach. Think about it. But now Dan Campbell is being touted as the reason for the Miami Dolphins' turnaround. It's amazing. That's amazing. People buy into this. It's not just some minority of football fans and members of the sports media that I'm lamenting. No, you know this. You know this is the majority. We're talking about the 80% majority. I know it's different on this show. I I understand this show is different. This audience is different. 80% of you don't believe in the coach being the reason. Don't believe in the coach changing the culture of the team. I know that's this show's sensibilities. If you gravitate to the show, you are more sophisticated and you're able to see past lazy sports media narratives that the coach is the reason. And, and what is the core reason? Oh, his toughness. You know that's ridiculous. But there's still 20% of the audience, like the person who wrote that buzzard message earlier, who believes it who believes that we're not crediting the coach enough on this show. What? And it's flipped everywhere else. So the audience that listens to Mike in the morning, you have to realize 80% of them believe in Dan Campbell as the reason, believe that Dan Campbell's toughness is the reason. That's what Mike Golick believes. And so most people believe that. People like us, the majority of this show and this show's audience, would be minorities in an audience of another show. That's just just interesting. That's something you need to know. Pat yourself on the back, I guess. So most people buy into this narrative. Dan Campbell's changing the culture. No, he's not. He got lucky. His players got healthy, and they played the right team at the right time. Just like Devonta Freeman got lucky, played the right teams at the right time, in the right role. Dan Campbell got the right role at the right time, on the right team, playing the right opponent. I mean, Joe Philbin must be sitting at home watching 
that Dolphins-Titans game in the fetal position. You know, his wife's coming in and saying, Joe, would you like another bottle of milk? Like, he's just sitting there sucking his thumb in the fetal position. It's unbelievable. Like, you can you imagine that situation if you were a professional and you had the unfortunate circumstance that Joe Philbin found himself in? Cameron Wake hobbled by a hamstring injury? Brandon Albert out? Core components of both lines degraded or out? Making it almost impossible for you to stop opposing offenses or matriculate the ball downfield when you have the ball? Then suddenly, magically, after you're dismissed, all those things change. Everything clicks into place for the next guy. And then, whoosh, the Dolphins go out and ball out the Titans. Just like Tevin Coleman goes out with broken ribs, and he looks up and, whoosh, there goes Devonta Freeman. Who, who would have thought, right, that Joe Philbin and Tevin Coleman would have so much in common? But they do, because Tevin Coleman's watching Devonta Freeman, and he might as well be in the fetal position, sucking his thumb, going, that's my touchdown! Arr! Devonta Freeman's not that good! I would have had 160 yards last week. Damn it! Right? Right? All right, so let's pivot to something interesting. The tight end position. The tight end position is interesting to me because after week one, Rob Gronkowski went out, scored 32.4 fantasy points, and everyone was saying, whoa, the tight end position. Whoa. Rob Gronkowski was such an awesome first-round pick. Vorp. Value over replacement. Rob Gronkowski, the fantasy points that he scores compared to the fantasy points scored by the number two tight end in fantasy. That is a chasm. You want to pay whatever it takes to acquire that tight end. You can't get Rob Gronkowski. Hey, I want to trade for Rob Gronkowski. What can I give you for Rob Gronkowski? Nothing. He's not available. He's not for sale. But what about all my players for all your players? No. That didn't make sense. That would just be changing teams. You might as well just change team owners. Did I just say that? That was, that was really dumb. What I meant is all my starters for all your bench players, and then we switch tight ends. How about that? No. No deal. I'm keeping Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> if Dan Campbell owned a fantasy team, he would own Rob Gronkowski, right? And he would be unavailable. You wouldn't be able to trade for Rob Gronkowski with Dan Campbell. He wouldn't make him available. Oh, no. He wouldn't trade that toughness. No, 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 no. But going back before the season, I, I said, whoa, let's, can we slow down a little bit on the Rob Gronkowski enthusiasm? Maybe Rob Gronkowski, because he plays the tight end position, maybe he's not worth a first-round pick. For two reasons in particular. The tight end position doesn't score as many fantasy points as the other positions, number one. Number two, the tight end position is the most injury-prone of the positions. So it's high risk, low reward. And I was laughed at. Awesome guy to draft in the first round. You don't want to draft Julio Jones when you can draft Rob Gronkowski, right? Well, I just don't ever think Drafting a tight end, no matter how good he is, Rob Gronkowski, at the peak of his powers, in his uber prime as the number one option for Tom Brady on a high-powered, prolific offense. Rob Gronkowski is in the, he's the perfect player in the perfect situation for a tight end to justify first-round draft capital. He is in that sweet spot right now, this year, 2015. And yet, still, I was issuing caution. I'm not the type of fantasy gamer who takes tight ends in the first round. I just don't do it for the two reasons I just listed. But it goes beyond just redraft leagues. In DFS, you heard this strategy recited over and over and over again. Oh, build your roster around Gronk. doesn't matter what his salary is. You always have to roster Gronk in DFS and then build your roster around him. 
Rob Gronkowski is a weekly auto start in DFS. He's a must-play. He's the only must-play every week is Rob Gronkowski. To not play Rob Gronkowski would be silly, be ridiculous. You're an idiot if you don't play Rob Gronkowski. And the Daily Fantasy platforms see this. They see the demand for Rob Gronkowski every week. So they keep raising his price, raising his price, raising his price, up over $8,000. He becomes one of the most expensive players in Daily Fantasy, and yet people just... Like zombies, must play Rob Gronkowski, must play Rob Gronkowski, get Rob Gronkowski in your lineup, build your lineup around Rob Gronkowski. Okay, Rob Gronkowski is now $8,300. Sold! Get him! Here's the problem. Tyler Eifert, Gary Barnage, and Greg Olson now have fairly similar numbers to Rob Gronkowski. Now what? Anybody? Anybody have a, have a, have a remark on that? Any, any commentary at all? Any feedback on that? What do I do with that? What do you do with that? Anything? No? Rob Gronkowski is getting crushed by a number of running backs and wide receivers this year. Total fantasy points. Nothing? No? Tight ends simply don't have the upside that the elite running backs and the elite wide receivers do, regardless of Rob Gronkowski's value over the tight end number two. What matters is his value over stream. And what we reminded you this offseason was that in 2014, a year in which Rob Gronkowski had a fantastic year, he was still outside the top 12 in value over stream. The value over stream is a valuation metric on playerprofiler.com, which takes the player's fantasy points per game and then subtracts the average available player on the waiver wire, his fantasy points per game, and then gives you a value over stream. That's what that metric is. And we harped on this and harped on this. Rob Gronkowski's value over stream is not in the top 10. He is a good second-round pick. He's not worthy of a first-round pick. And then what did we see this year? What, what happened? Gary Barnage stole Rob Gronkowski's mojo. Gary Barnage started with 6.8 fantasy points and then 2.7 fantasy points. Gary Barnage looked like what we thought Gary Barnage was going to be. It helps that Gary Barnage, his name, he sounds like a project foreman. He sounds like just a guy. I mean, if we had a poll or we were doing a market research, we brought people in and we said, Write down a first name and a last name. The first thing that comes to mind of someone who is just a guy. We would put the names together, and you would see Gary Barnage. And in the, to begin the season, that, that's what he looked like. He looked like just a guy. 6.8 fantasy points, 2.7 fantasy points, and then something happened. The switch flipped, and Gary Barnage started scoring. 22.5 fantasy points, 19.5 fantasy points, 27.9 fantasy points, 18.9 fantasy points. Rob Gronkowski to start the year was the inverse. Started with 32.4 fantasy points. Strong! And then, teams got tape of game one, week one, against the Steelers. And teams said, we don't want to look like the Steelers. We don't want to lose to the Patriots the way the Steelers did. We're going to start to double cover Gronk. We're going to start to bracket him. Then his points fell to 24.3, and then 14.1, 10.7, 14.0. Gary Barnage stole Rob Gronkowski's mojo. He did! It was like they switched identities, trading places. Rob Gronkowski and Gary Barnage. They're now one player. I mush their their game logs together. Then you get 32.4 fantasy points, 27.3, 22.5, 18.5, 27.9, 18.9. That player's name is Rob Barnkowski. But on a per-week basis, Rob Gronkowski has been usurped by Gary Barnage. Gary Barnage has been the better weekly play. It's amazing. Gary Barnage has 
three weeks where he was better than Rob Gronkowski. Rob Gronkowski only had two weeks where he was better than Gary Barnage. Let that sit in. That's your first-round pick. What? Not worth it. Gary Barnage is interesting, though. Gary Barnage, he has great workout metrics. For whatever reason, the Browns didn't know what they had in Gary Barnage. It's not surprising. The Browns are an incompetent organization. Their player personnel department is one of the worst in football. Gary Barnage runs a 4.65. That's 79th percentile. At 250 pounds, that's 109.2 height-adjusted speed score. He's 6.6250. That's a 78th percentile height-adjusted speed score. He doesn't have much in the way of burst, but his agility, 11.15, 91st percentile. We talked about this with Tyler Eifert. Size-adjusted agility with Austin Safarian Jenkins. Size-adjusted agility matters for tight end. It can be correlated with tight end fantasy output and tight end statistics. Size-adjusted agility. A 6'6", 250-pound player that posted a 11-15 agility score is hugely impressive. He's got a 20% college dominator above the 50th percentile, 14.4 college yards per reception, 71st percentile. Now, you're saying, well, he's 30 years old. Why are you talking about his college numbers? Because you have to. He hasn't posted offensive numbers at the NFL level. Cleveland didn't play him. When they did play him, they played him as a blocking tight end. When in reality, all along, he was a pass-catching tight end. They just didn't realize it. They didn't deploy him as such. They didn't know what they had in Gary Barnage. But if you go to playerprofiler.com, it reveals to you that Gary Barnage is an upper echelon talent at the tight end position. And the Browns had no idea. They were oblivious. They don't use playerprofiler.com. They're idiots. And now we're here in this year of the old breakout star, Jay Cutler, Ted Ginn, James Jones, now Gary Barnage. Players that are 30 years old or older are breaking out in the NFL. This is the year of the old man.